So we're going to have an unusual passage today. It's the story of um, an angel telling Joseph to take uh, Mary and the baby Jesus from where they live in Bethlehem to Egypt. And then at, at some time in the future, after Herod dies, um, the angel tells him to come back. And what I realize, this is a great story. It's only found in Matthew's gospel. But I know how the evil one works. And as much as we proclaim there's no condemnation for those in Christ, there's no condemnation for those in Christ, I know that a lot of times when we preach on hard things, all you can hear is, there's no hope for me, I am worthless, Um, God's love is great for everyone else, but it doesn't apply to me. And so I'm going to ask you to allow the Lord to take every thought captive and that instead of hiding under a bush, and trying to ignore uh, a certain sin that will come forward, that you would actually stand under a fountain of grace and believe what the Lord says and not your feelings. Okay? So let's lighten it up a little bit. Okay. How many guys have ever had a dog or a cat or a hamster or a gerbil? Okay, perfect. Um, how many guys have had a pet that, that, that actually you adored? Like you love this animal with all your life. I remember actually, don't tell your kids this. So they hear I remember a kid when I was little um, kicked my dog as hard as he could in the ribs. It was a little beagle. It was my buddy, my, my, my best friend in the whole world. And I flew across the street and administered justice. <laughs> 4.2 speed. I'm not proud of the fact that I whooped him, but he needed a whooping. Don't ever kick my dog. So you have had a dog. You've loved that dog or cat. I'm throwing cats in for cat lovers. And I remember, man, I know what it is to love a dog. I also know what it is to lose a dog. I remember my very first memory in life was when we lost our first dog, Scruggs. Scruggs, as in Earl Scruggs. He died, and then the next day, John Kennedy was assassinated. So it's really hard not to remember those days. I just remember being so sad, so sad. And then I remember for after that, Scruggs died, we got a new dog, and his name was Thomas Dog. Very creative naming, Thomas Dog. And I love that dog so much. He would, when I'd go to my friend Tommy Rowland's house and I'd be in there playing for four or five hours, I'd come out and he'd still be on the step. He was faithful. He slept with me every night. I let him lick me in the face. Who cares? You know, I love this dog. And when he died, it was the saddest day of my life. And even, we've had some hard things happen since then. I still tell you it's in the top three saddest days of my life. I love that dog with all my heart. And then there was Hambone. Hambone. We got him from the pound. He was awesome. But he had this like thing about postal workers and UPS workers. Like he just went ballistic. And we had this little metal mail slot in our door. And whenever that thing made its noise, like a demon would come in this dog. He would go crazy. And he bit several postal workers and UPS workers and FedEx workers. And there's all these like, this dog does anymore. We're going to take him away and euthanize him. Sadly for Hambone, a UPS truck hit him and killed him. Karma, man, bad, (laughs) tough stuff, dog gone. But anyway, if you've had a dog or cat that you love, you know how hard it is and devastating to lose them. I know, uh, who was the guy? Michael Vick, Michael Vick, the guy made Tech a great university. You know Michael Vick? But Michael Vick, a lot of people still hate his guts. He's one of the most hated men in the United States because he was party to or actually killed a dog himself. 
And that makes me sick. But I also wonder why so many people would never show one ounce of grace to a man like him who has repented of a grievous sin. Tony Dungy worked with Michael Vick and dealt with underlying root issues. And yet, some people would still hang him up. There's no mercy, no grace. It's the unforgivable sin. What I find really odd is so many of those same people have no problem terminating the life of a child. Our governor, and I, I pray for him, he said, well, yeah, if a baby's born alive, we could just make it comfortable out of the womb, make it comfortable, and then the mother and father can talk and see what they want to do. It's grievous to the Lord. It's grievous to the Lord. I know some of you have lost children. I can look at some of you. Some of us have lost, lost grandchildren. How grievous, how painful. There's nothing to describe it, is it? You, you can't even tell somebody about that. And so today as we go to the story where King Herod kills um, untold numbers of young Jewish boys in an attempt to take out Jesus as Messiah, we can hear, we can place ourselves on the edge of Bethlehem, and we can hear the crying of mothers and fathers and siblings who refuse to be comforted because their kids are no more. God in his mercy warned uh, Joseph to escape to Egypt so that for your sake, in spite of our wickedness and the things we've done, that we would have a Messiah who would bear our sin. Statistically, if we were full, which we are not in this service, but statistically, we've had at least 50 women and 50 men take part in abortion. And what I'm going to say to you today is do not allow the evil one to make you go into hiding or to say or lock it off because you can't. I'm going to invite you to stand under a fountain of mercy. I want you to, I'm going to invite you to stand under a fountain of mercy. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, man, the early church was made up of all kinds of sinners, idolaters, swindlers, schemers, sexually immoral, homosexuals, laundry list. And he goes, and such were some of you, church, and such were some of you, but God washed you. And so we can come boldly to God's throne of grace, not excusing our sin, but standing in his mercy to have the courage to be freed from the bondage of sin. Now let's go to the actual text, because I've gone on too long. We're in Matthew 2, verse 13. It says, now, when they had departed, that is the magi, the, the three wise guys, the wise men, when they, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. An angel appeared to Joseph. Again, this is Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, not Joseph with a coat of many colors. An angel appeared to Joseph, Jesus' Jesus earthly father. He appeared to him in a dream, and he said, Rise, Joseph, take the child Jesus and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Herod, Herod was a wicked man. Do you know this? I, I, I read about him. There's so many Herods, it's kind of hard to get them all straight. But this Herod actually killed two of his own children. He was so fearful, so paranoid, such a liar. He killed two of his own children. He killed his most favorite wife. 
He was, he was afraid that when he died, nobody would mourn his death. So at the end of his reign, he had him gather up all the Jewish leaders and take them into the Hippodome, whatever that is. It's like an amphitheater. And he had every Jewish leader there. So right before his death, they would all be killed. So all of Israel would be crying and mourning. Actually, they'd be crying and mourning for their leaders, but people would think they were crying and mourning for this wicked man, Herod. And so anyway, the Lord, through an angel, warns Joseph. What I get from this, friends, is that our God is a God who speaks. He's not like an idol made of wood or stone that's actually strangely made with human hands. Who would pray to a God like that? Wouldn't it be pathetic if the only help you had in your time of need or your time of sin when you need forgiving and cleansing is something you made with your hands? Who is deaf and mute and can't, has no life and can't respond to you, much less forgive you. But we know that God speaks to us in many ways. Yes, he speaks through angels, and we see him speaking to Hagar and Lot and Abram and Jacob and Moses through angels. We see that God speaks through his what? Look at there. His creation. Romans 1 says, basically, when you see the handiwork of God, Niagara Falls, the stars, crazy-looking animals and fish in the deep of the sea, when you see those things, you're without excuse, the Bible says. Because when you see those, you see the fingerprints of Almighty God. You're aware that there is a creator, and you are not that creator. And you were meant, in fact, to worship the creator. God speaks through his creation. He speaks through dreams 12 times in the Old Testament. Now, I've had some freaky dreams. I don't know about you. Have you had weird dreams? Like so weird, you're like, I'm not sharing that with anybody. Right. But in fact, especially before Scripture came, the Lord often would speak to his people through dreams. It has to be tested. But we see him speaking to Abimelech and Joseph and Daniel and Jacob and Laban, King Solomon. So God speaks through his creation, through dreams, through angels. Ultimately, how does he speak to us? The most trustworthy way. Because I appreciate angels, but it could be like an angel of light. He speaks to us through his word. All scripture is inspired by God, right? And it's, and it's useful for what? Correction and teaching and reproof. God's word is a light and a lamp. And so he reveals his will. He's not trying to hide from us. And so God spoke And revealed his will to Joseph for your sake. Verse 14, it says, And Joseph rose and he took, it's interesting how the the order goes. He rose and took Mary and little baby Jesus. Is that what it says? No, it says, He arose and he took the child and his mother. Because, see, why the Lord was speaking to him was to protect the Savior of the world. Right? He didn't want him, Satan taking him out as promised that he would try to in Genesis. He wanted to protect the Savior so wicked people like me and you could be washed and forgiven. He rose, he took the child and his mother by night, he departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Hosea. And Hosea says in Hosea 11, Out of Egypt... I have called my son. It was an insane ask. I mean, that'd be like God telling you right now, hey, 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 I know you got a house. I know you got a job. I know you got this. I know you got that. You go right now. Go to another country. Leave everything behind. Trust me. 
That all happened in a dream. And Joseph, strangely enough, did what? He obeyed. Now, it's a little confusing. Hosea, who was prophesying around 750 before Christ, 750 years before Jesus, he says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Hosea, of course, is pointing back to the Exodus. When God freed his son, Israel, got him out of his bondage and slavery in Egypt, took him through the wilderness to the promised land. That's what Hosea was pointing back to. But I think maybe Hosea didn't even really realize that God was also speaking something else through the same words. You know, parents, sometimes we've got little ears around. You might have code language or say something in a way that your kids hear it but don't understand it, but your spouse or your older friend does. And so here Hosea is talking about the Exodus and God getting his son Israel out of bondage in Egypt, but he's also uh, maybe intimating or giving a foreshadowing that the Messiah would come out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, I have called my son with a capital S. Now let's go to verse 16, and this is where it gets a little challenging. It says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, by the magi, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Friend, the, the, the main part of this lesson is not about abortion. It isn't. It's about a God who reveals his will and a God who would protect the Savior for people like us that miss the mark in every way possible. But I would be an unfaithful shepherd if I didn't if I dodged what is so clearly implied in the text. I remember 25 years ago, I went to Dr. Fuller, a big church downtown, First Baptist. And I'm like, Dr. Fuller, I hate preaching on tithing. He goes, don't worry, I never preach on tithing. I never get on a soapbox and say, hey, this is tithing Sunday, or this is abortion Sunday, or this is sexual, you know, sexual purity Sunday. He goes, I never do that. He goes, because people realize like you're on a soapbox and you're kind of doing this. He goes, what I do is I just preach the text of the Bible as it is. And he goes, all this stuff is in there over and over and over again. So just preach the Bible. People realize you're not on your soapbox. You're not pointing a finger. You're just fairly handling the word of God. And I want to say again, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation. What I know is somebody who has been under condemnation. When you have it, it's like you can't get it off yourself. And you go, yeah, 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 I know there's no condemnation for y'all in Christ Jesus. But the, Satan gets in my head and he goes, but there is for you. What you've done is, is a step too far. There is no forgiveness for you. And friends, that is a lie. That is a lie. And so we don't dodge these hard texts. But I got to tell you that child sacrifice is an evil thing to the Lord. Over and over in the Old Testament, over and over again, we see not just the pagans, but God's people sacrificing their children to some foreign deity or God. Leviticus 18 says this, you shall not give any of your children to the God Molech. Deuteronomy 12 says this, God hates what they have done for their gods, for they burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. 
Jeremiah 7 says this, they have built high places to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did anything so wicked come into my mind. Basically, the Lord says, you guys have invented new ways of sinning, grievous, outrageous ways to sin that you would, you would burn your own child to incur the favor of a deity that's in fact nothing but a rock or a piece of wood? That's insanity. Whereas Bernard Nathanson, the man who did 60,000 abortions and then stopped, he said it's an eclipse of reason. Whatever you've done in the past is in the past. In the old church, in the Pentecostal church, they'd say, it's under the blood. If you've committed murder and you've confessed it and agreed with Christ, it's under the blood. If you're a thief, if you're an addict, if you've divorced, if you've done terrible things, it can be under the blood. And the way it gets under the blood is you have to agree with God. This is sin. I'm not going to hide under the bush anymore. I can't stand it. In fact, I can never shake it off of me. I will choose by faith to stand under the fountain of the Lord's grace. Because I realize that's all God has to work with are people that are sinners. And such were some of you, but you were washed. Herod killed a lot of infant boys. We don't know the exact number. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I know Bethlehem's not that big. I know because I've been there. The commentators and the historians say Bethlehem was about 1,000 to 1,500 people, and they do the math and the algorithm. They say it was about 25 boys. And you're like, oh, wow, that's not that many. I was thinking like thousands, tens of thousands. Only 25 or 30? Let me give you some perspective. You go home this afternoon and your neighbor has got 25 puppies. Not humans made in the image of God, but puppies. He buries them halfway in the ground and runs over them with a lawnmower. Now, I know that's grievous, right? You didn't want to hear that. How much more grievous it is that Herod killed 25 or 30 of the Lord's boys. Do you see it? Can you hear the cries from Bethlehem? Verse 17, it says, this is what Jeremiah talked about. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because her children were no more. Rachel wasn't there on this day. She's long gone. But Jeremiah was prophesying that Rachel, who married Israel, who married Jacob, and was the mother of Joseph and the patriarchs, right? She wept as the bad guys took their children away to slavery. Some were in chains, but others they just killed. And she wept and she wept and she wept and she weeps and she weeps and she weeps. She refused to be comforted because her kids were no more. My seminary classmate got really famous. She was made head of a, a seminary. I like to say head of a cemetery. Catherine Ragsdale, Googler. She said in 2007, you'll find it online, six or seven times in one paper, she said, abortion is a blessing of God. See, that's really interesting because our church, we have a lot of folks who 
had abortions. And we have a lot of men that, while they didn't have it, were absolutely part of it. And when we actually want to minister and bring healing, real healing, to these men and women, what we find out is they say, Pastor, don't dodge these hard things. We can't hide it. We can't get it off us. We need cleansing. Yes, we need mercy. Yes, we need no condemnation. But we need you to tell the truth. I saw women particularly who for 30, even 35, 40 years were drugs, multiple marriages, broken. They said every time the day, anniversary of the day I, I terminated the life of my child, I'm, I'm in grief. Every time at Christmas, every time at Thanksgiving, every time I see another child, I'm in grief. And what I want to say to you is the Lord doesn't want his kids living in a jail like that. He wants to give forgiveness to you. And today, I would say, would be a wonderful day to not depend on your feelings or your ability to hide under a bush, but to stand and say, God, would you free me from the weight of sin which is crushing me? Verse 19, and we'll finish up. It says, but Herod died, thank God, but Herod died, and then the angel of the Lord again appeared in a dream to Joseph. Verse 20, he says to Joseph, hey, Joseph, get up. Take the child Jesus and his mother and go, to, go back to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. It's interesting that it says those who sought the child's life. It wasn't just Herod. It was Herod and the religious leaders. They didn't want any Messiah or Savior. They wanted to have power and money and power. It says Joseph obeyed as he always did. It says he arose, he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. And it says in verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus, that's Herod's son, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, Joseph withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. All right, quick, land the plane. You ever speak publicly? Everybody go, blah, 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 blah. I'm up there, I'm flying. How do I land this plane? I don't know. How do you land a sermon? I got four takeaways, real quick. One, one people of the earth are wicked. Truth is, I'm wicked. I have done wicked things, things that prove I need a savior. And there's no bush I can hide under. Only a fountain of grace if I choose to stand under it. People of the earth are wicked. So wicked that God says we invent ways of sinning that didn't even enter his mind. Number two. Satan, through wicked men like Herod, seem especially pleased to kill children. His primary target, of course, is not children in general, but the child, the holy child, the Messiah, the Savior, the one uh, who was completely righteous but gave his life for us who are wicked that he might wash us. Number three, because God actually loves us, he really does, he intervened in this case with Herod and the baby Jesus. He intervened, he spoke, he warned, he delivered. Last point is this, Revelation 21 verse 4 paints a picture of what is to come promises. The Lord says this, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. 
There will be no more death or mourning, crying or pain. On that glorious day, when the Lord makes all things right, Rachel and all those who weep will finally be comforted. If you have sinned sexually, if you have sinned in abortion, I beg you on behalf of Jesus to stand under his mercy. I have seen men and women in Rachel's Vineyard retreats after 35 years of being crushed by the weight of their sin experience unbelievable freedom that is not make-believe, it is real. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.